McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, good morning, everybody. Today is November 26, 2017. This is 60 Minute Overtime, Fall 2017, Episode 4, Cuatro. I am your hostess, Danielle McCartan. Uh, today's guest, we're going to have Bryce Petty. We, I would say we. I, I'm going to have Bryce Petty. I uh, actually asked him, not this past year, the year before, about uh, spending Thanksgiving dinner with Eric and Jesse Decker and what is that like in the Decker household. Uh, also, we're going to throw back to an interview I did with Mike Torres, most notably from the Yankees and the Red Sox. That was at a Mint Pro's VIP baseball event. Uh, you can find my work on prosportsrundown.com. That's my site, twitter.com, Twitter, Twitter at Coach McCartan. YouTube, search Coach McCartan, soundcloud.com, slash Coach McCartan, on demand, iTunes podcast, Coach McCartan. I need to make a jingle for this. I tune in radio, type in 60-minute overtime, play.google.com, slash Coach McCartan, and video simulcast right now on Periscope on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, today, uh, if you guys are following on the, the video streams, I have a very special contest. I'll show the, the Periscope people first. Landon Collins bracelets. You're going to have to answer a trivia question to win these, of course. Come on. I'm the trivia queen. That is going to be call-in only. You cannot give me the answer online. It's going to be call-in only. So if you want to pre-program the number, it's 201 825 Four. That'll be coming up a little bit later when I talk about the New York Giants. Not right now. Okay? So, Bryce Petty and I discuss Thanksgiving at the Decker household because my opening monologue today is going to be along the lines of the things that the New York teams in our area, across all the sports, are thankful for. Let's kick it off with Bryce Petty. And I know you're very good friends with Eric Decker. You went to Thanksgiving dinner. What was that like in his house? It was awesome. It was awesome. No, it was, uh, you know, just for him to open his, his doors up to me. And, yeah. um, he actually did with a lot of guys. You know, I was just, uh, they all kind of had plans. And I'm from Texas, so it was nice to have. Um, she can cook now. Yeah. She can cook. So uh, she's not all singing. So, um, you know, but, I mean, that just speaks to volume said the guy that he is. And, yeah. um, you know, just to open his doors. So I, I was really happy with that. What are the things that the New York teams are thankful for. Number one, the Knicks. The Knicks should be thankful for the departure of Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, as we all know, for all these years in New York, Carmelo was a me player. All he cared about was himself. Now the Knicks are playing as one unit. They have a winning record. They're seventh in the Eastern Conference. And then his departure also allowed for the emergence of Chris Stops Porzingis. He's the leader of this team, Chris Stops Porzingis. And you couldn't know that, and you would never know that, while Carmelo Anthony was still here. So if I'm the Knicks and I'm any of the Knicks fans, I would take this team with Chris Stops Porzingis as the leader over a team with Carmelo Anthony as the leader any day. I think that would be the unanimous decision among all Knicks fans. So Knicks, this Thanksgiving of 2017, should be very thankful for the departure of Carmelo Anthony. Now the Nets. Now the Nets don't have a lot to be thankful for. Let's just be honest. Uh, first, the Nets should be thankful for just putting butts in seats at the Barclays Center. It looked like it was going to be a very bleak season right at the outset. Right the gun because Jeremy Lin 
and D'Angelo Russell, who was highly touted. They both went down with injuries. They have no timetable to return. So, you know, the Nets stock was going real down. Then all of a sudden, this guy, and they should be thankful for him, his name is Spencer Dinwiddie. He's just stepped in nicely. He's not a name that everybody knows. He's He's been the stopgap, in a way, for the Nets because he averages 12.1 12 point, point, <laughs> points per game, assist, six assists per game this season, which is, I mean, better than nothing, right? Better than going to, I don't know, what, what would they go to without Spencer Dinwiddie? So that's why the Nets should be thankful for him. Now the Giants. What should the Giants be thankful for in a very dismal season? Well, although he is part of the problem, I'm not saying that he's not, you have to give it to, you'd be thankful for Eli Manning's leadership and control over that locker room. It was a, uh, a very tumultuous time when all these anonymous reports were coming out of people criticizing the coach and you know, especially, what was that, two weeks ago? Eli Manning has taken control over this locker room of a sinking ship. He's been a loyal giant throughout his entire career, even throughout the anonymous source uh, controversies. Yes, Eli's part of the problem, but he has been the consummate giant. Now, the Jets. The Jets are thankful for Marcus May and Jamal Adams. Because they're playing beyond their years. They were both drafted last year, so they're both rookies. Adams in the first round, 6th overall. May in the second round, 39th overall. They're not just known for their on-field prowess, but for their off-field work in the community as well. They talked about the culture change of the New York Jets, and it starts with these two guys. Just recently, the Jets donated a football field in Livingston, New Jersey, a turf field. And uh, May and Adams... And others, but May and Adams were there to, you know, help christen the field. And they had a, a kids' camp there, and they hosted it. And Adams, by the way, before even playing in a game for the New York Jets, was at a golf outing, where I asked him this about the uh, the culture change, and and he continued on. So here's the first thing Jamal Adams had to say. Hearing these buzzwords of a climate change among the New York Jets, how are you? going to be contributing to, to that? Uh, well, you know, I, I, as a rookie, you know, I just want to come in, uh, earn the respect of the locker room, um, earn the respect of, you know, my coaching staff, mm-hmm. um, and just do whatever they ask me to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just just doing the little things the right way. Um, so, you know, that's definitely what it's about. <laughs> now, just doing things the right way as a rookie, coming in, keeping your head down, you got to love a guy like that. And he continued on to, to say this. I watched you also, a video of you walking into the facility, and you even made a point to shake the, the secretary's hand. Right. You know, you're such a humble guy, and you're already a superstar, but I love that. Yeah, I just, you know, I always try to treat people, you know, the right way. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at LSU, um, I, I had a relationship with everybody in the, you know, facilities. Um, I spoke to everybody. I wanted to build relationships with everyone, and... You know, that's what I'm trying to do here. So, you know, anytime I can meet anybody at, you know, Watson facility, uh, I'm definitely going to do it. That's awesome. I love that. So how cool is that? How is this guy someone that you're not going to like? I mean, he's an excellent player. He's living up to everything that people said about him. 
and he's contributing to this culture change in the New York Jets, which Jets are an, uh, a team that no one expected what they're doing this year to actually happen. I mean, they're not great, but they are in the hunt for the playoffs, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So the Jets should be thankful for, number one, Jamal Adams, and number two, Marcus May. They're two rookies on the team. Now the Mets, what are the Mets thankful for? Well, the Mets had to wait all the way until October 3rd of this year to get their news, just about a month ago, almost two. Their season was plagued by injuries, the New York Mets. And guess what? And it's season after season. It's not just this particular season, but season after season, the Mets are played by injuries. It's this guy's out. The whole pitching staff was gone this year. So guess what? On October 3rd, Mets fans everywhere rejoiced because GM Sandy Alderson decided he was not going to retain, retain head trainer of 14 years, Ray Ramirez. And the Mets and the, the Mets players foremost, and then the Mets fans should be thankful for that. Alderson said, we will be adding staff as well as replacing Ray, but there will be a reorganization I think will provide us with more capacity as well as different organizational structure. With regard to Ray and the decision to reorganize, we felt it was going to be difficult to retain Ray. Of course it was. Your whole team was injured. The Mets had World Series expectations last year. And then the injuries happened. And the season was over in July. Nothing can be worse than this guy, Ray Ramirez, no matter who they get. So I think the Mets should be thankful, and they should look for the 2018 Mets to be healthy, poised to make a run at the playoffs. But, of course, that's going to be dependent on their health. The Yankees. This is an absolutely easy one. What are the Yankees thankful for this year? Well, the Yankees should be thankful for that being so far ahead of schedule that their rebuilding year landed them one game away from the World Series. And what about Aaron Judge? Here's a couple things that he's won so far. American League Rookie of the Year. He was an All-Star. He won the Silver Slugger Award. Home Run Derby Champion. AL Home Run Leader. And he broke a record for most home runs in a rookie season. And I was saw his first one ever. I was there for that. The Yankees should be thankful for being so far ahead of schedule. They should be thankful for Aaron Judge. And they should be thankful for a, a stacked farm system that keeps winning at every single level. Yankees have a lot to be thankful for in, in 2017. Now the Rangers. What are the Rangers thankful for? First and foremost, the Rangers are thankful for Henrik Lundqvist, the king. Yes, he is. The guy is showing no signs of slowing down. After speculation about his age as a factor for possibly pursuing a Stanley Cup elsewhere, his career save percentage, look at this, is 92%. This season, it's 92%. The guy is not slowing down. And in my line of work, in my career, 92%, that's an A-. minus. That's almost an A. So the Rangers have to be thankful for Henrik Lundqvist. They need to tighten up their defensive lines, which was the problem in the playoff run last year. But here's myself talking to Henrik Lundqvist about maybe pursuing a championship elsewhere. Now, do you feel you're one of the best goaltenders of all time? Do you feel now that you would need a Stanley Cup to cement your legacy forever? I don't think about my legacy when I play. The only thing I think about is, is try to win, and I want it badly. I mean, that's my goal. That's my dream. That's why I go to work every day to try to improve my game and, and try to help this team to win. Uh, I yeah, that's... I had a, a fan question come in 
He wants to know, he's very concerned, would you ever consider leaving New York in order to pursue the ring? No. Good. No. Very uh, good. New York is my home, and, and you know, they've been giving me this great opportunity to play a lot of hockey, and I, I, I'd like to say everybody, I, I love every second being here, uh, being part of this organization, and, and uh, so my goal is to stay here, absolutely. So, there you have it. From uh, his mouth to your ears, Henrik Lundqvist will be a Ranger forever, <laughs> apparently. So, the Rangers should be very thankful for him and his loyalty throughout the years as well. Now, the Devils, without question, they should be thankful for the return of Brian Boyle to the lineup. And if you don't know this story, you should. He had a, a diagnosis and he fought uh, chronic myeloid leukemia, this guy. And there was no better feeling than watching Brian Boyle score his first goal as a devil. And they should be very thankful for that. Boyle continues to help raise awareness through the NHL's Hockey Fights Cancer campaign. And he's an inspiration to us all. Here's the call uh, on his first goal and then his reaction after it. Chris passing by the Devils in the opening minutes as it's skated away by Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, nice block by UC Oakman and Brian Boyle coming from the back. Here's the quick re-entry. Boyle shoots and a save by Tom of the rebound. They score! First is a devil! Oh, it's got to be a good moment for Brian Boyle, everything that he's been through. Uh, yeah, I've never cried after a goal before, and that was... It's a lot. It's everything. It's it's everything I talked to Sal about before the game. Uh, these guys, you know, my wife, my kids, they've been through a lot too, and my my parents, my my siblings. It's uh, it's a good feeling. Let's hope it, we stand up and and make it count tonight. So there you go. There are the top eight things that the top eight New York teams should be thankful for this year. Again, we have. I have. A Landon Collins bracelet giveaway. Those are here for those of you just joining on online. This is a blue one. Landon Collins, it says, good at everything. I should keep that one. And this red one, Landon Collins says, I'm an animal. I'm an animal is what it says. So I'm going to give those away as long as you have the correct answer to the trivia question that I'm going to ask. Again, the phone number, don't call now. Not yet. I didn't give the question, but the phone number, in case you want to program it, is 201 825 one, two, three, four. And where was I last Sunday? Did you guys miss me? Oh, I have a good excuse. Don't worry. Baby girl, I won't mind if you play tennis badly. I won't mind if you choose to never pick up a racket. But I beg you, in this game of life, please keep playing no matter what. Just like it taught me, sports will teach you to be strong. Lions on three. One, two, three, Lions! You'll discover the power and grace of your body. You'll learn to move, and you'll learn the way to move others. Sports will teach you the strength of your allies. Whether your bond is by blood or by ball. Whether she shares the color of your skin or the color of your jersey. You'll find your sisters in sweat. Sometimes you'll score goals, sometimes you won't. But the goals you set, you'll reach together. 
you'll find the courage to stand tall, work harder, and speak louder on whatever playing field you choose in life. So keep playing, my girl. Keep playing. That's a pretty cool Gatorade commercial. That was Serena Williams, if you couldn't figure that out yourself. So where was I last Sunday? You might have missed me, but maybe you didn't because I was also on TV last Sunday. <laughs> uh, Mark Seidel's complimenting my Titans t-shirt. Uh, it's an Eric Decker t-shirt. But now, obviously, Mark's a Titans fan. So where was I last Sunday? I was uh, on the sidelines reporting for on Princeton women's basketball. Yeah, I was on ESPN3. And I was also on the Ivy League Network. So uh, just a couple quick reactions from that, and then we'll move on to uh, this Knicks last night. Uh, I I, kinda, I liked it. I mean, their coach, Coach Banghart, she, she was intense. I love that. She really knows the game of basketball. She's got a great team. But it's a good combination this year. They're going to go far because they've got great senior leadership, the seniors on that team. And then they have a, as she called it, a Grand Slam freshman class. And I, I'm excited for this. I'm, gonna, I'm excited to see how far they, they're going to take this because they're going to go pretty far. And that's my new assignment. As you may know, if you follow me on any of my socials, I am the sideline reporter for Princeton women's basketball for the 2017-2018 season. And last Sunday I was uh, there reporting, like I said. And if you missed it, don't worry. I edited down my appearances. You don't even have to watch the basketball or the commercials. There's a four-minute clip on my YouTube channel. Content is courtesy of Princeton Athletics. You want to check that Check that out? Go ahead and leave me some comments. Uh, it was a little a little scary at first. And then, uh, you know, it's just uh, that's, that's the standard. That's the starting point. So, uh, you know, looking forward to for that this season so it's going to be pretty much primarily on Saturday games don't worry I'll be here on Sundays everybody uh, on Periscope on Facebook on, on YouTube live right now so uh, last night I uh, I was watching the Knicks blow a 22 point lead over the Houston Rockets last night it's not as bad as it seems though we'll get into that and after the Knicks talk your, your Landon Collins bracelet giveaway Coming up right after my Knicks coverage, get your Google open, get your phone at the ready, and stay tuned. So this is Swiss Beats. It's kind of old. It's pretty cool. So Mike D'Antoni had a reunion of sorts last night. He is now the coach of the Rockets, coaching against his old team, the New York Knicks. Knicks fans were happy that he left. The Knicks were up in the first quarter at one point by 22 points. They were leading the Rockets by a score of 39-29 to at the end of the first quarter. The Houston Rockets entering play. The Rockets averaged 113 points a game, which is second in the entire association. They they ended up scoring 117, above average of their, their team average. They hadn't played a game since Wednesday, so they were well-rested. They're 5-3 and three at home, which is kind of peculiar, and 9-1 and one on the road. They're a better road team. Hmm. Entering play, anyway. Knicks played Friday night in Atlanta, so they were not as well-rested. They were also without their two stars, 
Kristaps Porzingis, who's their best player, and Ennis Cantor, the best offensive rebounder. A couple notes entering Rockets Capella. He led the league in field goal percentage at 67%. And then Chris Paul came back, unlucky for the Knicks, because when, when James Harden's off the court, the Knicks could have capitalized. But Chris Paul was out for four games and with a knee injury, and then he comes back to face the Knicks. So unlucky Knicks, right? But what I can't stand is James Harden complaining at the referees as soon as with 10 minutes and 38 left to go in the first quarter. I can't stand that. I can't stand it when Tom Brady does it, when Rob Gronkowski does it. I really can't stand that. Let, let the referees officiate, and you just play. Just worry about playing. So that was the first thing that kind of turned me off about that. Uh, the, but the first quarter, and I, I hear my notes, I mean, I had the, the Knicks' offensive boards were, were absolutely great. They they were, we don't want to say boxing out because they weren't, but they were they were crashing the boards after, after the shot went up. And that's the major qualm that I have about the NBA is that they just throw shots up and then run back and play quote-unquote defense, which I I don't like that. Uh, But the Rockets actually had a a slow start, which which was uncharacteristic for them because they typically get out to good starts. They averaged 33 points in the first quarter, and here the Knicks are keeping them to 29. They put up 75 points in the first half versus the Nuggets, these Rockets. So the Knicks had... One, if, if the game was one quarter long, even one half long, the Knicks would have won. But unfortunately, they had to play quarters three, well, just quarter three, really, because the Knicks outscored them in quarter four. Quarter three, oh, man. Well, in the first quarter, even Courtney Lee was four for four from, from downtown behind the arc. The Knicks only had one turnover at three minutes left to go in the first quarter, which is great. They were up 25 to five at one point. And, uh, yeah, here's a note I had. With Porzingis out, the Knicks went with Kyle O'Quinn at center. Uh, it was an early f- He was in early foul trouble, and Willie Hernan Gomez entered play. Now, this guy doesn't have a lot of playing time with the Knicks, and now we, we know why. <laughs> because he was absolutely no threat to score at all. He received the ball from a pass. He immediately looked to pass it. I mean... You got to make a move. You got to fake it at least. Fain a look to the basket in order to keep the defense honest. You know, I mean, you got to freeze the defense at least, at least. But don't get the ball and look to, to pass it as soon as you get it. I mean, what what, are you, what good are you doing out there? I mean, the guy doesn't even play good defense. But he's their third string center. And and someone on Twitter told me last night that it's a uh, it's a confidence issue with him. Uh, but he's not in the rotation. Well, guess what? That was his shot. Last night was his shot. And I am a coach. And when I put a third-string kid in, I expect them to try and prove themselves when they get in. They have to earn their spot. And what better way to earn your spot, Willie Hernan Gomez, against the Rockets, one of the best teams in the league? You know, I mean, he, he just he got, he, he got, out, got in that game and just stunk up the place. So much so that they went back to a Quinn who was in foul trouble from quarter one. And then the second quarter, the turnover virus started seeping its way into the the Knicks. But they still had the lead at halftime by two, three. And the third quarter was it. The game got broken open in the third quarter by the Rockets in the third quarter. Now, Michael Beasley on the Knicks, he's got some pretty good stuff, but he's just not a consistent scorer. He was pretty much non-existent in the third quarter. The Knicks went up by, they were up by 21-22. But... Now you know that the Rockets can, can can come back. Like they had a feeling that even though they were down by 22 points, the Rockets could come back. Now the Knicks are down by 21 in the third quarter, and there's like a feeling of no chance they're going to come back from that. 
and they didn't. They were outscored 37-13 to in that third quarter. Now, the major scouting report on the Rockets, I, I, this is not a secret. This is not a secret. The Rockets are 50. They take 53% of their shots from three-point range, which is game-changing, even if half of those fall, which about half of them do. I mean, the, the Knicks had to force them inside. In the first quarter, they did a good job of, of you know making them work for their shots and, and get into the paint, and, and the kickouts were, were all covered. And then the, the help side defense just absolutely broke down for the Knicks in the third quarter. They, I don't know, got tired. I don't know. But there was a 42... This is this is the game right here. There was a 42-point differential at the three-point line between the Knicks and the Rockets. So the Knicks were exchanging two-pointers, if they were lucky, for the Rockets to go right down the court and score three-pointers. It's just simple math. And, and, and it's a similar script, because if you're a Knicks fan, you know that on November 1st at the Garden... The Knicks were close in the first quarter, and then there became a blowout in quarters two and three after the first quarter lead by Knicks. So that final score of that game was 119.97. Last night was 117.102. You know, pretty similar. The Rockets also, not to mention the 42-point, three-point differential, the Rockets scored 25 points off Nick turnovers. You can't have that. If you're missing your two best players and you're going to get up against one of the best teams in the league, you can't have turnovers, let alone 25 points off the turnovers. And if you subtract 25 from 117, you have a Knicks win, even with the 42-point differential on the three-point line. I'm no mathematician, but, you know. And Jeff Hornacek, what he had to say about that was, uh, quote, the Rockets are missing shots in the beginning. We, the Knicks, were able to get good shots because they were missing in transition. Quote, I'm going to say in transition, yes, the Knicks were playing well. Rebound outlet middle. Back to basics. And then, I don't know what happened. They got tired in the third quarter maybe, playing without Kristaps Porzingis and and uh, and his canter. Who knows? But I just think that uh, even if the Knicks maintain this 42-point differential on the three, behind the three-point line, this turnovers, the turnover bug has, that has been plaguing them for the longest time reared its ugly head last night. And unfortunately, the Rockets capitalized that on, as good teams will. They capitalized that and had 25 points off turnovers. What are you going to do? Live and learn, right? Okay, so it's, uh, it's contest time. You're going to need to call. This is, uh, you got to call. Okay? And I'm not giving these away to anybody who's going to type me the answer. Not happening. You have to call. Phone number is 201-825-1234. And if no one calls, I'll give them away next week. Get your phones out. Ready to answer this layup, no pun intended, of a question. It's a Giants question to to, uh, to win these two bracelets. Both of them. I'm giving you both of them. Okay, you ready? Very easy. This is laughable. It's so easy. But you got to call. The question is, which two teams, NFL teams, NFL we're talking now because we're transitioning into the Giants, which two NFL teams typically play on Thanksgiving each and every year? That's it. You know it? I know you know it. The phone number is 201-825-1234. I'm checking. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Which two teams typically play, not each other, but just in general, on Thanksgiving each and every year? And we're going to break down the big-time NFC East Thanksgiving primetime game, which was the Giants at the Redskins. 
And, uh, hey, what's up with Eli Apple? Hey, y'all, I'm Luke Bryan. I sing a lot about life on the farm. That's because I know the important role farmers play in our lives. I'm partnering with my friends at Bear to say thank you to the American farmers while helping to feed hungry families. Join us by using the hashtag, here's to the farmer. And when you do, Bear will donate a meal through Feeding America. Help us reach our goal of 1 million meals and visit heresttothefarmer.com to learn more. Jonathan Hankins from New York Giants. You're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on 90.3 FM. Yep, the Giants. The Giants do their best Titanic impression every week. It's a sinking ship. But their hearts will go on next year. (laughs) There's really not much to review in that game. Giants, though, were tied through third, three quarters. They hung in there with the with the Redskins. You got to give them, got to give them credit. But they returned to their old ways. They were outscored ten zip in the fourth quarter, and that was it. Eli Manning had a wonderful strip sack fumble. They sacked him. He fumbled it. And then they have one more crack at it, and then he threw a big fat int. <laughs> so Louie from the Bronx, the good. The Giants need to lose out. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Talked about that last week, of course. But you need to uh, call in if you want these bracelets. It's 201-825-1234, Landon Collins bracelets. If no one calls, we'll just try it again next week. You chickens, you guys are all chickens out there. So guess what? It's a couple notes from this Giant game for on Thanksgiving. The Giants' defense outscored the Giants' offense. Yes, that, that happened. In the third quarter, Janoris Jenkins had a pick six of Kirk Cousins. And there were zero touchdowns from the Giants offense. Eli Manning had one interception. He scored like a whopping two points. If you had him on your fantasy team, you were pretty upset uh, with Eli Manning. Now the Giants, here's another note, they did not gain a first down in the second half until late into the fourth quarter. And here's another note, nugget. The Giants are now guaranteed to finish with a losing record for four out of the last five seasons. <laughs> well, 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 what do we have here? We, we can analyze that until we're blue in the face. The fact of the matter remains that the Giants do not have an offensive line. I say it here every single week. And Jerry Reese, I also say this every week, Jerry Reese needs to go like, like yesterday. And by the way, the Jets might be eyeing up Kirk Cousins, the monster contract for Kirk Cousins next year. He was also unimpressive and underwhelming for me. He, he posted a miserable quarterback rating. How many quarterbacks actually win games when their rating is a 32? Because that's what Kirk Cousins had in that Thanksgiving game versus the Giants. It doesn't matter, though, because of how bad or terrible that was. Because Eli Manning's quarterback rating was a 6.3, which was astoundingly bad. <laughs> because when you consider it that the highest... Is 158.3. That's the highest you could possibly get as a quarterback. 
Kirk Cousins scored a 32. And Eli Manning, not you know, not to be outdone by Eli Manning, who posted a quarterback rating of 6.3. That's absolutely terrible. Terrible. Astoundingly bad. But most concerning to me out of Giants uh, land is this Eli Apple story that's just kind of coming to light. Have you seen this? Eli Apple was the 10th overall pick from Ohio State in the 2016 draft. I love the pick because Ohio State always, and you'll see this in this come upcoming draft, they produce ready-made players. They have a system that translates to the NFL. I say this every year around draft time. So if you're picking somebody from Ohio State, you're probably going to get somebody that is pretty ready-made. And Eli Apple is no exception, or was no exception. He had an outstanding rookie year, absolutely outstanding his rookie year. Now I don't know what it is, sophomore slump, I don't know what it is, but something's going on here because this is a, a report by the New York Post that I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He, The facts of the matter first are he was not active versus the Chiefs last Sunday because he was attending to his mother who had successful brain surgery. That is all true. That all checked out. He also wasn't active versus the Redskins on Thanksgiving Day, and Coach McAdoo, the reasoning behind that, says he, he didn't practice last week except for Wednesday. He did not play in the game, and he didn't get any speed work this week, and that's why I chose not to dress him. That's an end quote from Coach McAdoo. So he misses two games at, at, so far. Now, they were close Sunday to Thursday. It's a short week. I get it. But then this report comes out in the New York Post last night, late last night. Remember when Coach McAdoo had that real-life, actual hard look at the film after that, that 49er game? Remember that? And, you know, everybody had that study session, and he, he was calling out players left and right, blah, blah. Sounds like Eli Apple couldn't handle the uh, criticism, constructive or otherwise. His lack of effort was called out by the coach and his teammates on two separate occasions. He threatened to walk out of practice or film session, not even practice yet. He threatened to walk out twice. Then he had to have a one-on-one conversation with Ben McAdoo. McAdoo had to smooth it all over and convince him to stay in practice that afternoon. Now, that's the quintessential example of everybody saying, now, these athletes these days. I'm sure it happened back then. I'm only 29 years old, but, I mean, come on. And this was a great nugget of information that that the New York Post article had. Before the draft, some anonymous scout gave the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel an unusual valuation of Apple. And I'm quoting here from the article. The scout said, I worry about him because of the -the off-the-field issues. The kid has no life skills at all. He can't cook. He's just a baby. And he scares me to death. That's an end quote there. Now, I think back to after reading that, I'm like, wow. I mean, that's pretty... You, someone should put their name to that, first of all. That, that that bugs me. But I think back to his mommy was posting videos of her dropping him off at practice, his first practice as a giant, which I thought was kind of cute. But then to hear, to, to put it with the scouting report, maybe it's not. I believe that she brought uh, balloons to Giants practice on his 21st birthday. He, the guy, He's a mama's boy. And I think the threatening to walk out, if this is true of practice, is is reflective of that. Uh, I mean, in any profession, anything that you do, you have to be able to accept accept constructive criticism. And if this report is true, I keep saying this, if this is true, well, Eli, Man- Eli Apple's got a lot of growing to do. Called out by the coach and his teammates 
on two plays, and, and, and it was well warranted. They, they were plays where he had no zero, zero, zero hustle. And as a young player, that rubs me the wrong way too because if you're going to have you know your, your sophomore year, you think you have your, your, your position locked up. Well, you don't. You need to hustle. It doesn't matter if you're Derek Jeter hustled on every single play. Okay? I didn't like Robinson Cano when he didn't hustle on, on plays. Someone said he's a mama's boy. He best he best grow up quick. I mean, you have to hustle on every single play, or else your job is going to be, <laughs> or else your job is going to be gone. So to take two plays off in a 49er game, which was an embarrassment, yeah, that you you should you should receive criticism for that from your coach and from your teammates. You should. It's well deserved. And how you take that criticism, because Janoris Jenkins, I'm sure, got the same criticism. And he came out and had a great game the next week. As great as the Giants' defense could be. But you know what I'm saying. You know, I, it's just people are calling him a baby. I think it's merited if this, is, if this report is right. Because you can't threaten to walk out of a film session. If they're showing you film of you not trying to make plays, you just can't do that. So I, I don't know. He hasn't. I mean, like I said, this came out late last night. He hasn't commented. Coach, no one has commented. But I should probably check his mom's Twitter because I'm sure she has. Uh, she's commented on the issue. I'm sure because uh, she came probably to his uh, defense. No, not yet. Maybe she didn't see the report yet. So stay tuned to that. Andrew Hopps said he's shocked his his mom hasn't said something on Twitter yet. Yeah, so am I. No one wants these bracelets, huh? Well, then I'm just going to have to sport them all week and I'll try again next week. Uh, one more time. Got Landon Collins' official bracelets. The question was, you have to have the answer to this. You have to call. You have to call. I'm not, I'm not folding on this rule here. You have to call in to win these. I will ship them to your house for free. The question was, which two teams typically play on Thanksgiving? Not each other, just in general. Which two teams typically play on Thanksgiving? It's an easy question. Easy question. I'll take calls if you if you need the time to Google it. Go ahead. I'm going to take calls through the end of the show. I'll mention it one more time at the end. The phone number is 201. I know, too easy. Just call in, Warrior Class on Periscope. Just just call in. It's 201-825-1234. See, now, now these people are on Twitter, I mean on Periscope, they're telling me the answers, but you need to call. You need to pick up the phone, 201-825-1234. You call, you win. It's that simple. And they'll be at your house in four to five business days, or however fast the USPS can get them there. All right? All right, it's up to you. You know the answer. You know it. So there is an, another New York football team you know, everybody. The New York Jets are taking on Dab King Cam Newton today. And both teams, believe it or not, both teams are vying for a wild card spot today. Yeah, playing for it. Today they're not gonna. It's not gonna be decided today. But they're both playing for it. The Panthers and the Jets. You're listening to 60 Minute Overtime on 90.3 FM. 
So the Jets Panthers preview. The Panthers are seven and three. They're going to be playing at the Jets at the four and six Jets at one p.m. from MetLife Stadium in uh, New Jersey. On that's going to be on Fox. So it's a windy, dreary day here in New York. Game time. They're projecting sustained winds at fourteen miles an hour plus gusts. I think it's more. If you go outside, it's probably more than fourteen. I think. All time, the Jets are two and zero versus the Panthers in, in their lifetimes playing each other. Two storylines to watch. I mean, you've heard it already. Jets, Josh McCown, quarterback, and Panthers defensive lineman. Julius Peppers are the only two players remaining from all the way back in the 2002 draft. I was in eighth grade in 2002. They're the only players that are remaining in the league from that draft, which was, what, 15 years ago? Almost 16. So while Josh McCown is a journeyman quarterback playing somewhat on like 11 teams or something, Julius Peppers, he's a nine-time Pro Bowler. He's only been on three teams, Packers, Panthers, and Bears. So, who's the better player? I'm going to go with Peppers. But second storyline for today, Panthers tight end, Greg Olson. You know that name. If you're from around here, you know the name Greg Olson and the Olson family. He's been inactive for eight games in nine weeks. He had foot surgery, broke his foot. What a time. What a time to be alive, Drake says. He's a Wayne Hills graduate, which is like 15 minutes from here. He will un he's active today. He's playing. Today is his first game back in nine weeks. He's undoubtedly gonna have a huge crowd of friends and family today. Just in time, just in the nick of time. Um he's not gonna get a lot of exposure today. I mean, how do you come back from nine weeks and catch ten balls and whatever? But he you know, he's Cam Newton's favorite target in the red zone. So look for him there. And look for his his people because he's a Wayne guy. Fifteen minutes away from here. So those are the two storylines I have. Now let's talk a little bit of the analytics of this game. The Jets, they are not in the top four in every offensive category in the NFL. They're not even in the top twenty. They're ranked twenty-four in total offense, twenty-three in passing, twenty-one in rushing. They're going up against a Panthers defense, which is a top four in every major defensive category. Total defense, passing, and rushing. That tells me that I'm going to interpret the stats here and say that the Jets need to have a balanced attack game plan. They need to run, pass, play action. Balanced. Because if they abort one, it's just going to be a really long day. And and Josh McCown, he can't try and force the ball into anywhere. He's got to use his veteran and his experience, his veteranness and his experience to take care of the football. If it's not there, you throw it away. You have to be patient. Because this defense will uh, will absolutely make you pay for it. They're top four in every defensive category. Every single one of the main ones, anyway, in my opinion. So uh, if you're watching the game today, if you're going to the game, the Jets aren't going to score many touchdowns today on offense. Although, although Austin Safarian Jenkins, keep an eye on him, since week three, he's got 39 receptions, which is third among all NFL tight ends. It's time for the special teams unit and the defense of the Jets to step up and score some points today. Because, And I'm talking special teams like kick return, punt return, touchdowns. Because there's no chink in the armor of, of the, the Panthers today. And you, can't, you can't totally do it on offense. You need some sort of magic and trickery on any other play, any other, any other unit. And the Jets' offensive can score big plays today. That's the only way they're going to score is if it's down the field. It's not going to be a methodical um, chip away sort of uh, 
direct sort of drive. You know, it's going to be it's going to be on the big play. Robbie Anderson's going to go on a go route over the top. McCown's got to put it on the numbers over the top, behind get behind the defense, behind the the cornerbacks. And Austin's Ferry Jenkins over the middle. Maybe look for him on a slant pattern and then to run, catch and run. But that's about it I I see for the Jets running the ball today. I mean, you got Julius Peppers stuffing the run every single time. Um, stuff Peppers. <laughs> but uh, that's that's it. So the, the special teams or the defense needs to step up. But here's where I could see that the Jets can capitalize on this. Okay, so you imagine you hit Robbie Anderson for, I don't know, a 42-yard pass down, down the sideline. And you're, now you're set up in the red zone. This is where the Jets can capitalize. If they get themselves into the red zone, often this might be a different game because the Jets are 10th in the NFL in red zone offense. They score touchdowns 58% of the time. 58% of the time is 10th in the NFL, which is pretty good. If they get into the red zone, which is within the, tw- the first 20 yards, they score touchdowns, not just field goals, touchdowns 60% of the time. Now the Panthers are ranked second to last, 30th in red zone defense. They allow touchdowns 70 or 68.4, I'll be exact, 68.42% of the time. So, if the, like I said, if the Jets can put themselves in the red zone, find themselves in the red zone, they can capitalize on, on the one Achilles heel of the Panthers is their red zone defense. If they can do that, the Jets are going to score some points. Uh, my prediction, here's prediction time. Now, Kim Newton, he's always a threat to run. We've seen we've seen him. Olsen's back in the lineup at tight end. He's working against rookie Jamal Adams, who's been good. He's been progressing, but he he's not going to be able to cover Olsen, even in a, if Olsen's in a, a limited role. He's just too good. There's a size differential there as well. The Jets and the Panthers haven't even scratched the surface yet on how to use their multi-talented rookie running back Christian McCaffrey. They line him up in the in the backfield. They they run him up the gut. They run him as a as a wide receiver. So Christian McCaffrey is going to be uh, an X factor in this game today. I, I believe I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey as the game changer for today. The Panthers and hopefully so because he's on my uh, he's on my fantasy teams. Hopefully he scores a couple touchdowns. But I, I, prediction time. I, I just think that the Panthers are too good on defense and they're so multifaceted on offense that it's just going to be a long day for the Jets. I think it's going to start off... The Jets always start off uh, fast. They always start off probably one or two touchdowns, maybe in the first quarter, but that's pretty much going to be it for them. So my score prediction is going to be Panthers over Jets, and I'm pretty confident in this. Panthers over Jets. Final score is going to be 27-17. You can go ahead and lock that in. Hey, and by the way, did you see that the Kansas City Chiefs signed Darrell Revis the other day? Oh, yeah, he's not ready to play today because he just got signed, what, two days ago? And he's going to be making his debut this week versus uh, next week, I'm sorry. He's going to be making his debut next week, of course, against two, against the Jets. <laughs> How's that for Deus Ex Machina? It's Latin. God out of the machine. Look it up. Learn something today. Someone asked me, what do I think about the, the emergence of the Jags? All that all comes off the shoulders of Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette comes in there. They, they have an offense that is too uh, multifaceted. They don't have to rely on the quarterback, who is not that good, to make plays for them. Leonard Fournette is a ground-and-pound guy. He has absolutely revitalized that offense. And watch out, because now the defense is catching on. 
for the Jaguars. And who would have thought? Who would have thought that the Jaguars would, would be making so many waves in the NFL? Who would have thought? It's going to be a tough division when it comes down to it. you got the Titans. I mean, it, I, I, they're all playoff contention teams. So I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're the real deal just yet, though. I, I just I can't see that. So, yeah, they said yeah, young talent and a beast, fast, aggressive defense. Yeah, yep, w- which is good, but I just don't think they're they're there yet to take the next the next step. Although I do think the Eagles have taken the next step. Don't be unthankful. Does anybody know somebody that was unthankful this Thanksgiving? What does that even mean? It's an actual term. Here we go. You're going to find out after the break. <gasps> a Trix Lovers Club. Disguised as a member. I might get some. Ha, I'm in. Here, kids, have some tricks. It's a fruity part of a complete breakfast. Mmm, raspberry red, orangey orange, fruit flavor in every bite. But first, huh? the secret handshake. The one? But I, I got it. It's the Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. And for even more fruity fun, you can get Fruit Stripe gum. One pack free and mark boxes of tricks. Sixty minutes overtime. Hurry up offense with Danielle McCarton. So former Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers coach Chip Kelly has decided he will return to the Pac-12. He has signed a five-year, $23.3 million deal to coach the UCLA Bruins. In college hoops, listen to this. At the Barkley Center, Alabama was forced to finish the game with only three players after their entire bench was ejected after a scuffle. Then one player got hurt and another fouled out. So yes, the last 11 minutes of play featured Alabama's three on Minnesota's five players. Three on five for the last 11 minutes. Number 25 ranked Alabama almost pulled out a miraculous victory. They only lost by five points, number 14 Minnesota. In the NBA, last night the New York Knicks were at the Houston Rockets. The Rockets won, like I said, 117-102. to James Harden of the Rockets was the leading scorer with 37 points and 10 assists. The Knicks' next game is Monday, tomorrow night, at 7.30 p.m. at home versus the Trailblazers, and that's going to be on MSG Network. Friday night, the Portland Trailblazers defeated the Brooklyn Nets 127-125. to Damian Lillard of the Trailblazers was the leading scorer with 34 points and 9 assists. The Nets played today at 6, th- 6 p.m. at uh, the Barclays Center versus the Memphis... Oh, I'm sorry, at the Memphis Grizzlies on the Yes Network. In NHL news, Friday night, the Rangers won an exciting one over the Detroit Red Wings at the Garden, 2-1 in overtime. Matt Zuccarello and Chris Kreider both scored for the Rangers. The next game is today at 2 p.m. at home versus the Canucks on the MSG Network. The New Jersey Devils at the Detroit Red Wings. The Devils won in 4-3 four, four in overtime, another exciting one. Taylor Hall, Brian Boyle, Brian Gibbons, and Nico Hershiser each had a goal for the Devils. The next game is Monday, 7 p.m. at home versus the Panthers on MSG+. And in NFL news, last Sunday the Jets had a bye week. They play today 1 p.m. at home versus the Panthers on Fox. Thanksgiving night, the Washington Redskins had a feast at home at the expense of the New York Giants. The Redskins won 20-10. The Giants have a long break and return to action next Sunday, December 3rd at 4.25 p.m. at the Raiders. Those are the Oakland Raiders, not the Las Vegas Raiders just yet. That game will be on Fox. I'm Daniel McCartan, and that was your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense.
someone in my career, a coworker of mine, gave me an article from the New Yorker magazine, which was published on November 6, 2017. I love how everybody's getting in on this now. She gave me an article, and uh, it was entitled, Acceptable Forms of Protest. <laughs> I'm just, there, you can go find the article yourself, but I'm going to pick the top two. Obviously, it was a tongue-in-cheek sort of article about the controversy surrounding the NFL, and this is a great segue into my next topic. But the top two acceptable forms of protest, according to New Yorker magazine, are you ready? This is all meant to be sarcastic, please. It's called, number one, what acceptable form of protest is called the stand kneeling. And what that is, is a player protesting, I'm reading this I'm, I'm directly from the article, a player protesting racial injustice is permitted to kneel during the anthem, provided that he demonstrates a vertical posture, that his left knee maintains a minimum angle of 180 degrees, which is standing. And if the kneeling, standing, player chooses, he may further protest by placing his right palm just a smidgen to the right or to the left of his heart in order to represent the smidgen of discord separating our great nation from racial harmony. The number two acceptable form of protest by the New Yorker magazine for the NFL is just, you know, playing football. The NFL believes, this is a quote now from the article, that sometimes the best protests are the simplest. Perhaps the most powerful statement that a player can make is to continuously collide with other players for 60 minutes, risking catastrophic injury and irreversible brain trauma with frequent commercial interruptions. The NFL strongly supports the right of all players, not named Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick to express their First Amendment rights by playing football until such time as racial justice is achieved and or the Super Bowl. Speaking of protests and Colin Kaepernick. Okay, what the f <laughs> So there's a term. I learned a new term yesterday, and everybody watching on Periscope, on Facebook, and on YouTube, I learned a new term yesterday, and I'm going to teach it to you today. The term is unthanksgiving. Yeah, I'm talking low so you really concentrate. It's called unthanksgiving. What that is, the definition I gathered, is it's an annual gathering at Alcatraz Island to raise awareness of the fact that Thanksgiving is a, a quote, a holiday rooted in tragedy. That's Colin Kaepernick's quote. The synonym I, I thought of was Indigenous Peoples Sunrise Gathering. Now, why on earth would something like this be sports news? Well, Colin Kaepernick was this year's guest of honor. Here's a video that he posted on his Twitter, and we'll talk about it. You got to see this video. We'll stick here. We still resist. We are not going to stand against um, the current day American genocide and what, and what that represents. We have a relative that's here today with us, and his name is Colin Kaepernick. And so, thank you, Colin Kaepernick, a big own to you. He honeywashed the Oyate people. I've danced with these feathers for 39 years, and I have to give you. It truly is an honor to be here today. I'm very humbled to share this space with all of you. And thinking about coming and supporting, I realize that our fight is the same fight. We're all fighting for our justice, for our freedom. 
and realizing that we're in this fight together makes us all the more powerful. Were those boos? I think I might have heard boos. You gotta see this video. It, I know you heard it, but you have to see it. You have to go onto his Twitter. These indigenous peoples over here on Alcatraz Island, they have Sharpies in hand and number seven 49ers jerseys ready to go. And they're holding feathers and tribal flags with iPhones recording him talking. That sounds a little hypocritical if you ask me. Now, I'm not trying to bait a race war. I'm not. But I don't see things with the gray area. There are no in-betweens allowed. If you're not happy with something, you change it. No matter what it is. You don't like the color of the room? You change it. Paint it a new color. So I'm just trying to figure out how Colin Kaepernick plans to help the people he sees as being oppressed by actually referencing the past continuously. If you keep living in the past, you can't move forward. And there's a metaphor in this. There's a reason why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. So Colin Kaepernick needs to drop this holier-than-thou attitude, and he's just got to go do something tangible. And if it's, it's going to be an extra bonus if it unifies people and starts to bring harmony. Election Day came and went. I didn't see Colin Kaepernick campaigning for anybody that he thought was a fit for him. I haven't seen him put his name on any bills to address any issues. Co-author bills. Uh, he's got a lot of time on his hands, Colin Kaepernick. How about someone like him runs for office? I mean, Jesse Ventura did it. He was a wrestler. I would, say, I would love to see Colin Kaepernick run for office because then we would really see how many people actually support him and his message. Because in politics, that's where real change occurs. And I feel the same way with people offering their thoughts and prayers when yet another mass shooting happens. Thoughts and prayers don't cut it. Because policy is the only thing that can change that. And a note to the United States, you should look at Japan's gun laws. The USA has 33,000 gun deaths a year and 300 mass shootings. This year alone. Japan has less than 10 gun deaths a year and zero mass shootings. Maybe the Japanese just think and pray more than we do. Maybe that's it. So getting back to Colin Kaepernick, if you want to see something get done, you need to go do something. Go campaign. Go make a political commercial. Go run for office, for God's sake. And then we would actually have a measurable effect of how he it, how many people actually support this. And it's not just a fad to, to kneel during the anthem, to go check out Indigenous People's Day and sign jerseys and get photographed with iPhones and, and the press. Run for office. See what happens. 2017, which pitch produced the fewest home runs per at-bat? Find out on the other side of this break. We count on them every day to bring us together, to connect, to perform, to share. And when they need to be replaced, folks count on Mavis Discount Tire to get low prices on the largest selection of brand name tires to make the most of their journey. 
because you never know when the money you save on tires can turn into a game-changing memory. Isn't it time you hit the road again to make more memories of your own? Mavis Discount Tire, saving people money for over 50 years. I'm Tobin Heath, two-time Olympic gold medalist and World Cup champion, U.S. women's soccer midfielder. You're listening to Danielle McCartan on 60 Minute Overtime. So in 2017, if you watched the Yankees as closely as I did this past season, especially in the playoffs, this was an easy question. And the question was, which pitch produced the fewest home runs per at-bat? Does anybody know watching? Anybody want to take a guess? The answer is the curveball. The curveball produced the least amount of home runs last season per at-bat. This is something that I believe, and I know, not that I believe, I know, that the curveball, good job, that Dallas Keuchel and the Astros knew this entering the play with the Yankees. Uh, there was that game that was crazy that he only had three pitches or something other than curveballs in the playoffs. Uh, in, in, I'm sorry, in that one game, every single pitch was a curveball. And it was effective. It was deadly and it was detrimental to the Yankees. I believe that was game seven. Uh, someone in the Astros organization definitely did their homework and knew this before these results were published. That's for sure. The analytics guys, you have to have a good balance between gut and analytics, definitely. You look at it, uh, the fa- see, the fastball produced the most strikeouts because it was the most commonly thrown pitch. But the curveball produced almost uh, half the time strikeouts that, that it was thrown. Now, the average batting average was the lowest. Let me see. The batting average against the pitcher was tied for the lowest between the slider and the curveball. Interestingly enough, the fastball produced the highest batting average against. So that's a note to you, you young pitchers out there. Don't blow your arms out trying to throw fastballs. You should learn the off-speed stuff, the trickery kind of stuff. And the average exit velocity was most, obviously, for a four-seam fastball. Duh, the faster it comes in, the faster it goes out. You play any sort of baseball, softball, you know that. And uh, not that that totally matters, exit velocity, because unless you're Aaron Judge and you're hitting him 125 miles an hour off the bat, or Giancarlo Stanton, who Derek Jeter is looking to trade, away from the Marlins, uh, that doesn't really matter. So, you know, young pitchers, you need to start learning curveballs. Forget the fastball. The stats are here. If you're an analytics person, (laughs) don't kill your elbow by throwing too many curveballs, though. Okay. All right, how about a balance? (laughs) How about a balance? But the stats are here. The most effective way to, to, to strike out batters in the MLB in 2017 was with the curveball. Now let's throw this back to an interview that I did with Mike Torres. You might know him most notably from the Yankees and from the Red Sox. It was at a Mint Pros VIP baseball event. Before I get to that, there are 10 tickets. Everybody watching and listening right now, there are 10 tickets remaining for the Italian-American Baseball Foundation's dinner at Carmine's Restaurant Pizzeria in Brooklyn. That is December 7th at 7 p.m. Confirmed guests are the guest of honor. You know him, Bobby V, Bobby Valentine player and most notably Mets manager and Gary Perrone Perrone, he's the assistant GM of the Brooklyn Cyclones. Also confirmed for that event is Vic Cerrone, Jimmy Laritz, Brandon Nemo John Franco and Jeff Nelson if you want to come to that, you contact Joe you email him, it's mint M-I-N-T-P-R-O-S at AOL.com Joe 
his name is. It's mintpros at AOL.com. Mention that you, you heard or saw this on my show. You're going to receive a really hefty discount. And don't wait. Tickets are sure to sell out like they did last year. There's only 10 left. Again, you email him. Joe. His name is Joe. The email is mintpros at AOL.com. Here's my interview with Mike Torres. Hi, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan with Mike Torres, famous for the 1977 World Series in New York Yankees. Uh, we're here for Joe Qualiano, Min Pros, with all the 1977 guys. What's it like to be back with these guys? Well, it's always great. It's great to see the guys you know, we played with uh, 40 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, it's always great, you know, uh, seeing and laughing, bringing back a lot of memories, you know, from that year. And uh, it's just a, it's a fabulous thing just to be around the guys again for a day you know yeah. even for a couple hours so have you do you keep in touch with the guys or well you know most of the guys are all around right. uh, the country uh, I think I'm living in Florida now uh, some of the guys live here Roy White lives in Jersey uh, Nettles uh, Greg Nettles lives south from here the guys are all spread out yeah so um, as far as the only time we see them is usually for the old-timers day game or for the fantasy camps that yeah. we have down in November and January in Florida. Yeah, I want to do one of those. They have the oh, women's camps. That'd should. be cool. Look like you'd be great at it. I think I have short style. They have a ladies, yeah. I know they, they do, yeah. They have a ladies league. Uh, they yeah. play for four days, and they really enjoy it. I don't know if I can get off of work, but yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. Um, so 1977 Yankees beat the Dodgers. i got to ask you, because you are a special story. You win the World Series with the Yankees in 77. And then you go to the Boston Red Sox, and then that's where Bucky Dent's famous nickname came from. Yeah. Home run <laughs> off of you. <laughs> yeah, in the playoff game, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, did you know it was gone as soon as he hit it? No, I thought it was just a fly ball. It was, uh, if he wouldn't have used that cork bat like I always get on him, <laughs> uh, about it, it? It, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gone out of the stadium. But uh, since he had all that extra electricity, yeah. it made the ball jump out. He said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a bitter bitter rivalry at the time because the Red Sox had just won too, oh, right? Yeah. What was that like for the switch for you to go from Yankees to Sox? Well, I mean, I did want to leave the Yankees, but at the time I think they only offered me like a three four year contract, where Boston came and offered me a seven year guaranteed contract. So I mean, like, you know, yeah, what do you wait? What do you wait? What do you wait from here to here? Yeah. So I went to Boston, and uh, by then, you know, I. Was winning a lot of games uh, every year. I won 17, 18, 20 games uh, in the big leagues, and um, it seemed like I'd get traded. And I just wanted to get settled somewhere. Right. So I, after every year, I win 16, 17, 20 games. I got traded. It was like, ah, man, I like to settle down somewhere. Right. And that's why I went to Boston. Yeah, and you had a successful career there too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd say. Yeah. So <laughs> I was happy, and you know, uh, had a lot of fun. And, and, Great rivalry with the, against each other. You right. know, you see it and you can feel it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, uh, during those years in the Yankee years, the 77, 78, you know, well, you weren't here in 70, but, uh, you know, the Son of Sam, the blackouts, the fires, mm-hmm. it was an unsettled time here, especially here in the Bronx. Right. What was that like playing during that time? Well, it was great playing because we didn't get to read anything. You know, they weren't writing all negative. <laughs> the papers were on strike, I think, yeah. at the time. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, lot of stuff going on in our clubhouse. That, you know, uh, a lot of craziness, I could say, that uh, everybody, every time you did read something, uh, George 
was mad at Billy. Billy was mad at, at Reggie. Reggie was mad at Billy. It just went in a circle. <laughs> so it was a crazy year. But uh, you know, once we crossed the white lines, we came to play, and yeah. we had a very, a very good team, a sound team. And when everybody uh, was out in the field, and uh, we had a great bunch of guys, you know, that year. Was it ever a time in the clubhouse where you were like? Oh my God, this is bad. This is really bad. No, I came from a bad clubhouse in Oakland where Charlie Finley in that clubhouse was even crazier than we were in Oakland. They just didn't write about it, but Charlie Finley was a, oh, he was a heck of an owner. I mean, he was even crazier, you know, as one of the owners that I ever played for. Yeah. And, uh, he hit, and he was funny. He was really a funny guy, but uh, the clubhouse was in disarray with the A's back then. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. But, it's like uh, it, no one's crazier than George, huh? Right. Uh, but he could. He no, could. George is, uh, you know, he paid a lot of money to get guys yeah. to win. He's, I love playing for him because he's got great talent, you know. And uh, I was happy that I was part of that, that team. And your favorite Yankee memory was? Winning the playoff game in Kansas City. If we don't win the playoff game in Kansas City, we never get into the World Series. Right. I came in in relief. For about six innings, six and a third, six wow. and two thirds, shut down Kansas City because they were already four to nothing. Right. They were beating us four to nothing already when I came in. Right. If I don't hold them, we never got into the World Series. Six innings of relief. Did you hear that? It's <laughs> good. good. All right. Well, I'm Daniel McCarr and Mike Torres. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. So that's just a throwback interview with Mike Torres. Uh, pretty good. I mean, it, it, Catches on some some history things with Son of Sam and everything that was going on in the Bronx at George Steinbrenner. And, of course, Bucky effing Dent, how he got his nickname, was from a pitch that Mike Torres threw, as you heard. And that's going to do it for today. Uh, Next week, I'd like to take a look at and start to take a look at each managerial candidate for the New York Yankees, pluses, minuses, et cetera, et cetera. I'm holding my phone now. Uh, Thank you for the retweets and and being so interactive on we have on uh, Periscope live facebook live and on youtube i think this youtube yeah it does this youtube records and then it's going to go as a, as a video you can watch later so uh i just want to thank everybody for you know their their time this morning and hey no one wanted these bracelets i see last chance last chance we'll try again next week or else i'm keeping them phone number to call in the question the question was which two teams typically play on thanksgiving not each other, just in general. Which two teams typically play each other on Thanksgiving? It's not that hard. People were giving me the answer on Periscope. You just have to dial your phone now. It's 201-825-1234. And they're yours. For free. All right, so I just want to thank uh, thank you for spending your Sunday with me. Enjoy Football Sunday. The Jets are on today. I don't know what the other game we have here is, but I'm sure it'll be good. See you guys next Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Sharp. I'll be back here on your radio waves and on your uh, video feeds. ProSportsRundown.com is my site if you can't wait until then. Twitter, at CoachMCCARTAN. YouTube, search Coach McCartan. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. iTunes podcast, Coach McCartan. Tune in radio, type in 60-minute overtime, and play.google.com. You're going to search Coach McCartan. Thank you for your... uh, for your time today, and have a great Sunday, everybody. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, 
Search with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.